And we once again welcome you back into the One Giant Podcast, along with myself, Andy Makowitz, over there, where we're in the thick of it, Andy. Free agency has kicked off, obviously, but there's some other things going on. How have you been uh, surviving the quarantine? Yes, we're in the thick of the quarantine right now. And, um, you know, regardless of where you were and, and how you felt about it before, obviously, everyone's pretty much uh, on house arrest for the time being. The good news is, Adam, I spent the last 45 minutes rifling through my attic, and I think I discovered my old Nintendo somewhere o- over the top of a bunch of old clothes that I'll never wear again. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll briefly say, hopefully, this, this should not be your, your, your first source for information uh, around the pandemic, but hopefully everyone's listening to the smarter people around this and doing what's right to, to help everybody get past this thing, and as they say, lower that lower that tide of what's been going on all over the country and the world, I guess, really. On a side note, Andy, though, if you're rifling around your attic to find your Nintendo, you're doing things wrong because my original Nintendo is right downstairs underneath the main TV, hooked up. I got that there. I have an N64 there. I've got my Xbox. You know, everything is at my fingertips. Whether or not I choose to use it on a daily basis, I like to know that it's there comforting me, especially in times like these. Adam, my tough, my tough challenge is this is the backup Nintendo. All of my Ooh. Nintendo stuff is still up at my you know, childhood home up in the attic. So I'm rifling through. And if you've ever tried to find an old system, do you know how hard it is to find a power cord? or an AV cord that you need to be able to hook up one of these old systems. It's really underrated. If someone could figure out how to streamline that, that would be great. Because there's never a time when you're packing that up that you go, this, it's going to be a solid six years before I open this up again. So let me go ahead and coil up the cord. Let me tape it to the back of the system. You know, instead you're right. like, let's yeah, throw that in that it. box. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Like the box is half like, like decrepit and half the cords make it in. You don't know if you even have the right cords. I found two PlayStation one cords in with my Nintendo. Like what? I don't know. It, it was like there was a pandemic 15 years ago and I had to stuff everything together. <laughs> well, Part of the problem, too, is because I feel like I've gone through this. You know, you always want to be purging stuff from your home, you know, wherever you live. And I've come across, I know I've come across power cords to systems like that or old things. And I look at them, I go, man, this is like a, you know, this is a 20 year old cord. Like, what could I possibly be doing with this? You throw it out, and then it is. It's six months, two years, six years later, whatever the case may be. You go, where was that cord that I had? What happened to the cord box, sweetie? We, we, remember when we put all those, remember that, remember that Nokia flip phone charger that I had? I know I said I wasn't going to need it, but it turns out I might need to extend the antenna on this bad boy and get it back up and running. I just found that box that you described. Everyone has the old electronic box. I have all of those chargers. Yeah. From the original Nokias in 1999, it's all in a box. Cause you never know when they're going to come back into vogue. Like Maybe that Nokia is going to be the way that people go. They want to detach themselves from, from the internet. And that comes back. <laughs> and guess what? I will be ready with the cord. I don't have the phone anymore, but I've got the charging source. Now, I can also tell you, uh, we're, we're going to get to football conversation here. But, but as you can tell, people, we're, we're isolated. There's a, lot, there's, a lot, there's a lot I wish I could get off my chest. I started uh, just prior to basically coming out, hey, everyone, you got to self-quarantine and get that social distancing on. Uh, I started a, a home project that now feels a little bit tricky. I'm in a good spot because I'm in my apartment so consistently. But while Andy was up in the attic finding Nintendo, I was blowing a hole through the bathroom uh, to, to expand the bathroom space a little bit. But I feel like it may have been a misstep to do that 
while you're, you're, you're basically only inside of your living quarters. So I'm also creating a bit of a debris. I don't have great access to, uh, the, you know, the outlets where you pick up some two by fours or, or get yourself some sheetrock. So I may have blown a hole in a part of my home that I, I, I may not be able to fix for quite some time. So you, you, tr- you treated one coronavirus for potentially asbestos. And so there, there you have it. Well, and incidentally, incidentally, this will be the last thing, friends, but I, I started to do this product. And I just said this to uh, my girlfriend, Courtney, and, and live in lover. I was in the closet that, that I'm blowing out the wall of to make the bathroom bigger. And about at, just after I swung the hammer through the bathroom wall, I took a look around and thought, you know, this is actually a really nice podcasting space. It's nice three-wall enclosure, tight, good, uh, good echo and you know, audio control. So I, thought, I had that thought right as I was plunging through the wall, and I had to walk myself back off of being like, maybe I patch this up, and I just throw up a nice door here. I start to get into my podcasting space, and I tell Courtney, listen, better luck, better luck next time. This, this is going to be a new podcasting room. That is genius. So you started construction work. You thought it was going to be one thing, and now it's going to be solely dedicated to the One Giant Podcast. I love it. Never ask Courtney about how, how things go in terms of the evolutions of projects for me around the house. Nevertheless, let's get into what people are here for, hopefully. And if you have some home improvement projects, feel free to reach out to the One Giant Podcast. I have great advice on that. So obviously, the free agency period kicks off officially in about 15 minutes. We're recording on Wednesday at 345, so we may get some live stuff as we're moving along here. But the Giants go ahead and look to address needs. We all know that the defensive side of the ball is an area where the the Giants wanted to improve at a number of positions. First big signing that they made over the course of the legal tampering period was Bradbury out of the Carolina Panthers. That's old stomping grounds of GM Dave Gettleman. So he was there when he was drafted. Familiarity with the player knows what the skill set is uh came out as being a three-year 45 million dollar deal 32 i believe it is million dollars guaranteed on that uh and it also ends up though i think the official numbers come a little bit closer to 43 and change so he'll be making a little over 14 million a year the guaranteed money and the bonus also is structured in the first year of this contract uh, the bonus uh, signing bonus that's going to be associated with it what were your thoughts initially when you heard that bradbury was going to be uh I, i guess the apple of our eye as that first big signing in the free agency period The first thing I thought is, of course, it was Bradbury. Of course, because Dave Gettleman drafted him previously in Carolina. And that first, you know, irked me a little bit. And I said, you know, know, is Dave Gettleman overpaying just because he was enamored with a guy five years ago? And then you kind of read into it more and you can take the pro football focus grades for with a grain of salt sometimes. Mm -hmm. I like also looking at, at production on the field and consistently Bradbury was matched up against the the Mike Evans of the world, the Julio Joneses of the world, the Michael Thomases of the world. And he performed admirably. He shut them down consistently. I think only two of them got over 70 yards against him uh, in play. And the more I read about it, the more I liked the signing. It is a position of need. We did need to overpay. We got younger than Janoris Jenkins was, you know, at a, a salary that was almost comparable, maybe a million or two more. So you know, I, my first was an eye roll saying, of course, it's a Carolina Panther. And then the more I dug into it, I felt, felt pretty good. What about you, Adam? 
Yeah, listen, at 6'1", 212, so I like his size and length. Like you said, you know, pro football focus numbers don't necessarily tell you the full perspective on him because they're, they're not great. 61 overall this past season. Uh, the year prior in 2018 is 66.4. So, you know, those numbers aren't fantastic on paper, but this is something I, I was talking about on uh, Twitter with a couple of different Giants people around how you can't just take pro football focus number and say that's the end all be all on them and I think we usually do a pretty good job of also talking about stats when it comes to these players so I I like bringing him in I I think you needed one a veteran presence in the secondary you're talking about a unit outside of uh it's going to be I think uh Grant Haley is going to be 25 he's the oldest player in this secondary uh you know now with we'll throw this in here because it's a footnote but Antoine Bethea was officially released by the Giants as well so very young secondary veteran presence to your point I think he really showed you a lot over this past year matching up with true number ones and the market is what it is, right? You, you go into it thinking that you, you know you're going to need to get a cornerback. Obviously, we had talked about Byron Jones potentially, but at a certain point, you do have to set a cap for what you're willing to spend. And I think that it's the combination of familiarity and price point that leads us to bringing in Bradbury. And I like it on a three-year deal as well. The, the signing bonus coming up in that first year is going to give the Giants flexibility in terms of where their money rolls out over the next few seasons also. So initial signing, I liked it. I think that it filled definitely filled a need, and then it also helps take something off the board for the Giants when you think long-term and the draft next month. We moved on from there. The next domino to fall, we obviously were wondering how the Giants were going to try to beef up the linebacking core. As we know, there's some departures there, and then dealing with just having a subpar performance from this unit over the last season, and really the last several seasons when you talk about it. So first piece that comes in to help bolster the linebacking group is Blake Martinez from formerly the Green Bay Packers. You know, this deal, again, $30 million deal over three years, $19 million guaranteed. Guaranteed, reported by Jordan Renan as well, though, it includes 14 million in year one and 22 and a half million over the first two years of the deal. We can talk about the numbers obviously as well, but what's your initial reaction just to the player itself and how he fits into the Giants? I, I, he was someone that I had looked at and we may have even highlighted, uh, you know, kudos to you for, for nailing Bradbury as one of our hypotheticals. Uh, Previously, I kind of had Blake Martinez is one of the guys circled up mm-hmm. um, knowing that he was probably going to be able to test the free agent market. Again, another one that I rolled my eyes at knowing that he is great in the run game and he leads the, he's at the top of the league consistently in tackles. I think he was second last year in tackles to Bobby Wagner in Seattle, certainly not comparing those two, but that just shows how he's able to stay on the field and he finds himself around the ball constantly um, from a couple of Packer fans, they 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 uh, chuckled and said, "Yeah, a lot of those tackles are he's chasing a guy from behind for a seven-yard gain for the mm. other team, right?" So, um, I, you know, th- th- there's a couple things. One, I I think it's a need. Um, I would have liked to have seen a linebacker that's a little bit more rangy that can you know help us in pass coverage. Knowing how frustrated we got at times with Alec Ogletree last year. But overall, you know, we, we paid up a little bit of a premium in year one to get a, a guy in who's still young, who could be, um, you know, ascending into his prime that for, you know, everyone at the Green Bay Packers is saying he is like a natural born leader. 
Yeah, some of what I read was, too, that the way the, the, the Green Bay Packers defensive scheme is geared, it funnels the play into the middle. So that can sometimes create a little bit of an inflation in terms of his, his, his numbers, giving you 155, 140 you know, tackles per season these last handful of years in Green Bay. One of the drawbacks that I thought I saw on him was the missed tackled percentage. But, again, you go inside those numbers and you think about the volume that he's playing with, you're talking about him averaging missing one out of ten tackles per game. Now, now, if it's one of the biggest tackles that he misses, that could be a problem. But I don't know if I have that big of an issue if he's making nine strong tackles. And then, obviously, there's going to be opportunities where a running back, you know, coming out of the backfield, a tight end, somebody gets away from him. All right, so be it. I, I think that he is obviously an upgrade over the play from Alec Ogletree. Do I think that he's the end all for us at that position? Maybe not. But, uh, but to your point, He's a contributor, improves the position, and you again front load this year one of the contract that is, so you can see kind of the note with the signing bonus for Bradbury now about this first year, and we'll get into it a little bit later about what I think the implications are the way the Giants have structured uh, you know these contracts in free agency. Yeah, Adam, that that was that's the one thing that we'll definitely be touching on. I do find it fascinating when you know to the to the layman you see fourteen million dollars a year for Blake Martinez. Uh, when Corey Littleton is is getting uh, less than that in year one, and you mm. think, man, what are the Giants doing? But I think there is a method to some of this madness. Well, and yeah, to just to briefly touch back on it, remember we highlighted By- Byron Jones as being that possibility. He signs a five-year deal, right? So you can, and the numbers are a couple million more a year uh, average than Bradbury. So there's that element to it, but then also the length of the contract. So we'll dive into that later, but that certainly is the highlight. Same thing, uh, although... I think Littleton signed a three-year deal as well. The numbers and the way these contracts are structured obviously play in a big factor in how the Giants are approaching their offseason. Well, Adam, we're almost burying the lead for our listeners. While it's not necessarily a free agent signing, one of the big question marks was what were the Giants and Dave Gettleman going to do with Leonard Williams? And we got our answer on Monday when they announced that they were going to use the franchise tag against him. Uh, they ended up using it. it it's going to cost around $16 million to keep Leonard Williams home. Um, there are some talks about hopefully trying to restructure that to get a long-term deal before uh, the July deadline. What are your thoughts on, on the franchise tag for Williams? Yeah, you know, and we, we've, we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about this fine fellow on this podcast, and, and with good reason, because we know the trade and, and the value that you, that you spent to get him in the, in the door. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it just felt like this was an inevitable uh, uh, step that the Giants were going to have to take with Leonard Williams because of what you gave up to get him uh, in this past season midway through. Uh, you know, do I love it? Maybe not, but I don't think you want to let him walk away. Again, you and I have discussed at length about how I think he's a quality player and can be a contributor. It's just the issue of the the the, the way in which you came about getting him on the team. Now, I, I think, again, this is going to funnel into our discussion later on here. Okay, so you franchise tagged him. You're going to pay a premium for him this season. The issue, I would say, in terms of getting a long-term deal in place is now that you franchise tagged him at that number, you have to assume that Leonard Williams is looking for a long-term deal that's going to pay him at that type of number over you know, a number of seasons. And I don't know if the Giants are necessarily looking to commit to that over the next three, four, five years, whatever that contract may, may look like. But I do think, you can put in some of these other pieces around him through free agency in the draft 
look at how he performs early on in this upcoming season, and then make your determination if you think as this team gets better that he's the beneficiary of some of the stronger play behind him, and then maybe the value in a long-term deal comes into play. But right now, I look at this more as the Giants franchise tagged him. You get to push off this decision potentially until next year and then allow that to roll out. You had brought this up a number of podcasts ago, and I think we did our research and confirmed it. The Giants now, by keeping around on the franchise tag this year, next offseason, were he to sign somewhere else, they would be in line to get a compensatory pick depending on how things shake out and the moves that they make. Yeah, exactly. That is important to know. And, you know, there's, there is a a whole host of options with him. We could sign him to a long-term deal. We could sign him to a sign and trade, or we could do what the Jets did and play out a few games of the season, try to see where he stands, see where the Giants are in terms of contention. And maybe we flip him for a fifth round pick or a fourth round pick. We're certainly not going to get back the value that the Jets got against us, but it does open up a, a lot of options. So while I don't like the number up front. At least it's a short-term commitment, and it provides us more options down the road. For sure. And we'll take a beat here just to – I want to run down the numbers uh, for everybody. There's still a couple of names, obviously, uh, both free agents and then some of our own that will be returning for us. But when, when this all started, the, the Giants were sitting there at about $77 million. You go ahead and take a look at Leonard Williams on the sixteen. You bring in Blake Martinez, talk about that $14 million in the first year. You also throw Bradbury into that mix. There's one, we know Elijah Penny, this is a footnote. We brought him back as well. Uh, And then we also brought back a couple of guys. I'm just going to run these off quickly before we touch on the other free agents. And that was David Mayo, Cody Core. Uh, and also, uh, that's, our only, that's our only one there, including him with Penny. Those are the three guys that we have coming back. Now, we'll, get, we'll dive into them a little bit more later. But all totaled up, adding in the next two names that we'll mention here, which are relatively low-cost contracts, the Giants find themselves now sitting at about $18.2 million remaining in terms of their cap space that they have as free agency officially hits. The last two notes there that we brought in here were again we went back to green bay for kyle Fa- uh, fackrell i'm gonna have a hard time i want to say frackrell i just <laughs> I, I, I have fracking on the mind uh kyle frackrell and then also from san francisco we brought in lee uh Tyola, uh, the tight end there on a one uh, two-year deal excuse me worth 3.1 million it's a one-year deal for fackrell at 4.6 million pick your poison wherever you want to go first but what are your thoughts on these two players yeah, I think my, my high-level thoughts, knowing that they're kind of uh, a little bit more of a depth play for us, um, the tight end from San Francisco, he's kind of been sitting behind some amazing tight ends in his career. I think, you know, most recently behind Kittle. I think he was even behind uh, Tony Gonzalez at some point. Um, he he ha- hasn't really had an opportunity. Everyone knows that he is an enormous guy. He's 6'8". He's a massive blocker in the run game, which is definitely going to help knowing that our offensive line, uh, as you ran down these names, we still have not signed another offensive lineman. Um, But he certainly can help. He's a big bodied red zone target, you know, with Evan Ingram and Caden Smith. I think that's kind of rounds out our, our trio of tight ends. And I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, listen. So we're go- I'm going to derail us a little bit here. I like the I like the signing a lot. You bring in a blocking tight end. A lot of people, you know, kind of say the one for one, right? Red Ellison retires, and you go ahead and replace him with a younger blocking tight end, though, as his primary role. Some of the things that I've been reading on, and then trying to like piece it together in a lot of ways, is what is this going to look like going forward? And it goes to something that we've talked about, and that's Evan Ingram. And I think. 
you know, I, we've had our discussions about it, and I know that people can take away when I say I think the Giants, you know, should move on from him, that it means I don't like him as a player. But I've illustrated that it's about injury and it's also about value of the player. What I will say is, though, when you combine Caden Smith being there, who showed you that he can, you know, he can be basically – adequate at both roles, blocking and receiving, though he is primarily another receiving tight end. You combine him with now the signing of uh, Tyola, and all of a sudden, I think this upcoming season could be one of the first years. If Evan Ingram's going to stay put, and it feels like that's going to be the case, I think you're finally going to see Evan Ingram get utilized in the way that a lot of people envisioned when we first drafted him. And that's that he's not really a tight end. We're going to move him around everywhere. He's going to be outside, inside. He's going to come out of that backfield. He may line up on the line of scrimmage a couple of times here and there, but I think he's very much going to be a Swiss army knife for Joe judge in this upcoming season. And that's where I think, provided he can stay healthy, all of a sudden you get that real value out of him. And that's often where I, where I've come up and said, man, I, I just, Maybe we should move on because we don't seem to have the ability to utilize him as well, even when he was healthy. So that, that's got me a little excited. And, and I, I, you know, some people knocked the idea of $4.6 million, for, oh, excuse me, the $3.1 million over two years for this player, uh, you know, but a blocking tight end. We haven't had one. You know, Red Ellison, yes, but he was buried on the depth chart and unhealthy the last couple of years, had obviously concussion issues. I, I think this is, you know, those, one of those quiet signings that you have, and all of a sudden, midway through the season, you start to realize the incredible value that he brings to your run blocking game, to protecting Daniel Jones in the pocket, and also freeing up players like Caden Smith and Evan Ingram to go ahead and get out there in space and be a weapon for Daniel Jones in this offense. Yeah, and I, and I kind of look at the totality of the tight end position in terms of the contract. Tracks, you never want to overspend at one position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have two guys making 15 million, uh, you know, playing tight end, you, you have a problem. You know, the Giants still have Evan Ingram on his rookie deal. Caden Smith is making the rookie minimum, I believe. And, you know, we're paying a, a million and a half, 1.8 or whatever the exact number is in year one to bring in another tight end that fills a, fills a need. So for me, you know, all in, what, what are we spending? Five, six million on, on tight ends. I think that's money well spent considering it frees like you said it frees up Evan Ingram in the passing game and it helps our offensive line in the run game getting a massive 6-8 body yeah 100 percent now the other player that we mentioned there of course was Fackrell also coming over from Green Bay I think you're right you know the number indicates that you're not looking for a starter here but what I will say is you know a lot of the indications are this is so to speak the replacement piece for Marcus Golden, because this is a guy that's expected to play on the outside of the three, four and get after the quarterback. So I, I, that that's what you're looking at. It doesn't mean that the giants view him as being the end all be all in terms of the depth, but not unlike a Marcus Golden last off season where you say, Hey, we bring this guy in. We think he can be effective for us. And then we'll see what else we put around him. And obviously rotating this cast of characters in the linebacking and edge core for the giants this upcoming season. I I think for the value of 4.6 million for the one year deal, this makes a lot of sense. And at the very least, what you said is, and by the way, same thing with Martinez, we have a Graham on our coaching staff and that's where this connection comes in. So you are getting the inside perspective of feeling like, you know what these players are. Same thing with Bradbury and Gettleman's connection there. But setting the baseline here, we've talked about it before, right? Let's raise the floor on this roster for ourselves as we go into this, as we go through this offseason. And I think they've done that, right? You've gotten a little bit better at cornerback over Jenkins, a little bit younger with Bradbury. You get a little bit younger with Martinez, improvement over Ogletree. Now, you can debate about what Fackrell is in terms of an improvement. 
but I, th I still think from a depth perspective, you now also have given yourself that nice baseline as you look into the back end of free agency and then, of course, head towards the draft. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We've upgraded the roster already. I still feel like we have tons of holes to fill, and, and we can talk about that in a second. Uh, but overall, I, I feel okay about where we sit uh, kind of going into the phase two of free agency. Uh, before we, we touch on, on where the Giants go from here, I just wanted to get to the pulse of, of the rest of the free agent agency outside of the New York Giants. Adam, was there any specific signing or anything that you saw during the wild frenzy of, of legal tampering that uh, you think was noteworthy? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take the, uh, the easy, low-hanging fruit on this one, I guess. Obviously, the Houston Texans, you know, Bill O'Brien, a man unto himself, unrestricted, uh, runs into as they apparently it comes out that just having a little bit of conflict and friction uh, with DeAndre Hopkins. So, you know, trading him to the Arizona Cardinals and we, you know, you want to talk big picture. We play the Arizona Cardinals this upcoming season and they've certainly done a great job surrounding that young cornerback with weapons, but you swap, you get a second round pick and a fourth rounder. You give back a, a fourth round pick to the Cardinals and the Cardinals get to unload what they saw as being you know, a burden in the contract of David Johnson. I mean, everybody around the league is scratching their head on this one in terms of what the thought process could be. That to me, they said that this was in the talks as far as you know, DeAndre Hopkins and maybe moving on from him, knowing they weren't going to give him a big contract at whatever point that that came to pass. But that's shocking to me. You know, you have that guy there. You have obviously uh, Deshaun Watson at the quarterback position, and you just go ahead and take his number one weapon out of you know out of his uh, out of his huddle. That was surprising to me. That, that was a big shock to me. GM Bill O'Brien, yeah, uh, basically traded away Jadavian Clowney and DeAndre Hopkins and got a second and a third round pick while giving back a fourth, and he traded a first rounder for an offensive lineman. It's mm -hmm. like it's like what is he doing? You're 100 percent right. That was pretty shocking. Um, you know, for me, what I, what is, is the most shocking thing for me is the overall movement of the quarterback position so far this off season. I cannot believe how many quarterbacks are on the move to compete with jobs or, to, or, or to just outright sign with someone, you know, uh, it, it's getting finalized today that Tom Brady will be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer and he will look unbelievable in that creamsicle orange color when they go to the throwback jerseys which i think <laughs> is hilarious um you, you know just earlier today nick Foles was just traded to the chicago bears for a fourth round pick teddy bridgewater signed a 63 million dollar three-year deal with uh the carolina panthers there's just a flurry of action with different quarterbacks flying off the board and all around and the reason why i find that interesting to me is I'm curious where the the uh, musical chairs will end because it's going to impact the Giants during the draft. If one of these teams behind them doesn't get the quarterback that they want and, and they're kind of vulnerable in the draft, that puts the Giants in a good position. Yeah, Cam Newton and what's going to happen with him now, obviously, uh, it was interesting. They said that they gave him the uh, the opportunity to seek a trade. He came out and said, I didn't ask for it, but okay. <laughs> it looks like, looks like I'll be looking for a trade partner here. So where he ends up going, uh, the Chargers are obviously going to be in need of something. Phillip Rivers going to the Colts, you, you know, a lot of moving parts here. The interesting thing to you said, to your point is these teams in the draft, even if you've brought in a quarterback, especially if you brought in a veteran quarterback on a shorter deal, doesn't mean that you aren't still, still going to be looking to get a quarterback of the future, even for a team, let's say, because you talk about the trade partner of maybe the Colts and backing up just a couple spots for us and still being able to accomplish what we want. Even if they, let's say they got Cam Newton, 
I still think they would be in a position to maybe want to draft a young quarterback, knowing not just the injury history for Cam Newton, but you are taking a little bit of a risk, not knowing what he's going to be. And you're still going to be thinking probably for the long term. So there is a scenario where we come, you know, comes time for the draft. And a lot of these quote unquote QB needy teams really aren't anymore. And the ones that do need them are in a great position just to stand pat and don't need to get up over top of anybody. Even, uh, you know, you mentioned, all the movement, it may, it may sound silly, but Marcus Mariota going to the Las Vegas Raiders, it's a quiet signing. You expect him just to be the backup there, but it eliminates, I think, the, the Raiders, at least this season, feeling like maybe we want to make that big move up there to get our future quarterback. They can kind of stand pat there and maybe wait until you know next season or the following to figure out what they want to do with that position as well. I was just talking to my brother-in-law, who is a diehard Patriots fan, and we both chuckled at the idea, and I want to float this by you. Could you imagine Jameis Winston to the New England Patriots and the look on Bill Belichick's face when Jameis throws his first pick six <laughs> of the season in, in week one? He's going to be like, what is going on here? And, and I'm praying and I'm hoping that that happens. Well, I, I actually, you know, and that's, that's for the, the fun of it all. You know the 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 comedy of it, especially because you'd be essentially swapping quarterbacks between Tampa Bay and New England. I actually think the more interesting one would be Cam Newton going to New England. You know, all, all of a sudden, you want to talk about a team that obviously is a little bit of flux there in New England and what they're going to do. It, it feels like because of the injuries, Cam Newton is being looked at as a he's being evaluated lesser. And it, I think it's just because absence of playing time. You know, I think he played injured the year prior and then comes out with the injury this past season. So I think people are kind of forgetting what a talent he can be. And if you took him with his arm strength and his skill set and you got him into Bill Belichick's system where obviously they have experience playing with a quarterback just from the pocket in Tom Brady over the last 20 years, now you can say, okay, you have this asset, but guess what we're going to do? Not what Carolina did and just have you run yourself into a gauntlet week after week. We can protect you, put some weapons around you, and give you an opportunity to have some success up there. I think that that would be the really intriguing move for Cam Newton and would probably make more sense for, for the Patriots because I, I don't think Jameis Winston, as everyone said, if, if Bruce Arians couldn't beat out the interception tendencies from you, if he couldn't rein you in, I don't know if anybody can. Well, and, and to be honest with you, uh, when we talked about Cam Newton, I don't think he's actually thrown a football in the last six or eight months. He hasn't been cleared to throw a football. So yeah. that's the challenge is he's had shoulder injuries for the last couple of years. He's not even cleared to really, you know, let the ball loose. So there's a lot of concerns, but, but you're exactly right. He is a big body that adds a whole new dynamic that someone like Belichick would, would salivate over. It would, it would create a whole new system. It wouldn't be relying on, on Tom Brady just throwing the short passes. He could get out of the pocket and be more athletic. I do think that's a scary notion, um, you know, thinking about Carolina and, and all, you know, the changes that they've made. They've gone with T Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, with, to me, it's just fascinating. This, this whole quarterback carousel, um, I'm curious to see what happens in the next couple of days. Yeah, so, you know, we, we said there's a couple other little notes around the Giants in terms of players that we brought back returning. And then I also, though, wanted to touch on a couple of these small, smaller names, but I think some names that you recognize, and it's surprising that they, were, that they were let go. Just in terms of the Giants, quickly here, we mentioned Elijah Penny, obviously Cody Core and, and David Mayo. You know, the more that I got inside the numbers, especially on David Mayo, I, I, you know, he seems like a guy that wasn't necessarily given opportunities early in his career. When we brought him in, 
I didn't really look at him as being, you know, th- th- that big of a piece. And yet he, he was a very solid player for us, arguably one of the most consistent and reliable players in that linebacker core last season. So I like that we brought him back. Obviously, it, it's not a big, you know, a big one, 2.7 million on a three-year deal. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's, again, about maintaining the floor and raising it a little bit for the depth. I think that that's a really smart move. Joe Judge, with his perspective on special teams and bringing Cody Core back, made a ton of sense as well. So I like some of those players being rewarded. We mentioned Elijah Penny. And then, if I'm not mistaken, did we bring back Michael Thomas, or am I, just, am I speaking that into existence? I think, I think you're speaking that into existence, Adam. Well, I prefer that they do because uh, along with the Cody core, I think that's the kind of thing that makes sense because special teams contributors, again, some veteran presence on the defense and offensive side, uh, defense side of the ball, specifically with Michael Thomas. So I'd like to see him come back potentially, though it's obviously not a deal breaker for the offseason. Any quick just thoughts on the guys that, that we've returned back into the fold here and at least feeling like Joe Judge has done what he said in that press conference, right? I want to get in the building. I want to evaluate the players. And, and I think that there's been this willingness – to bring back guys that were here already, and we haven't seen them go the route of some of those fearful, maybe, of dipping into the into the uh, the Dallas Cowboys pool, right, or dipping into the New England Patriots pool, because we know we have obviously, uh, obviously we have the former. Uh, what, what am I? Come on, tell me the name of the coach. Joe Judge. No, no, but uh, from from the from the Cowboys. Oh, Jason Garrett. Thank you, guy. Yeah, that guy, that old, that old bag of bones. We brought him in on the offensive side of the football. So you start to have these concerns, right? We mentioned Van Noy. We didn't really want to see us dip in on him and bring him over. Talk about Jason Witten, who signed, uh, you know, signed, signed elsewhere as well. So I was happy to see that from Joe Judge and this coaching staff where it wasn't, hey, let's just rely on these other players from, uh, from our previous stops. Let's go ahead and really evaluate the talent, give everyone a fair shake. And you saw that in, in these returning players, I think. So what I, my biggest takeaways from the first act one of a free agency is the giants gave themselves a lot of flexibility while improving the overall depth that they had in the squad. And the reason I say that is because they signed younger players. They signed shorter deals, three-year deals. They also front loaded a lot of these contracts because basically what I think Dave Gettleman is saying is, look, we're not ready to compete and go all in and get that one marquee free agent or that one big signing that we need, we need a lot of help. So why don't we front load some of these contracts and make it more attractive to free agents, give ourselves more flexibility down the road when potentially next year, you still have Daniel Jones on his rookie deal. You still have Saquon Barkley on his rookie deal. And you may have 75 to hundred million more cap space to go out and really start targeting one of those premier free agents to bring you over the top. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I'm glad that you went there with it because that, that's what I wanted to touch on is the way that the Giants spent their money. They went ahead and improved the team, not necessarily in a leap at, at position by position, but I think you marginally improved. You got younger on the roster and you also structured things in a way that you're going to be able to go right back out into free agency next year. And whether it ends up being players inside, you know, that we already have on the roster that are going to need new contracts or extensions or in the free agency market, you've once again set yourself up for some nice flexibility and to your point we we, we throw out the big names right what i what i like to have some of these bigger names Corey, uh, you know littleton and even we talked about deontay fowler maybe and some of those names that you thought or even byron jones like throw it out there but i I mentioned it when we talked about janoris jenkins right what was the problem with bringing that player in was at the time 
You give them a massive contract when the team isn't ready to compete. Think back to when we brought in Olivier Vernon and we brought in Snacks Harrison, right? All these guys that, yes, are they, are they, are they good players? Did some of them underperform? Maybe, sure. But the bottom line was when you were doing that, it wasn't going to move the needle in terms of where this team was going to go on a season-to-season basis. So I, I think people have been kind of on both sides of the fence in regards to these early moves in free agency for the Giants. But to me, it's just saying, yeah, we need, we're still in the building process. We want to, of course, improve and be competitive, but this is a long-term project. And it's maybe that acknowledgement of, yes, we realize that the old feather the line, and Gettleman acknowledged this, feather the line between competing and rebuilding. Well, we, I realized I couldn't do that. I tried to. It's hard to do it. Turns out it was impossible to do. And now we're doing things in what feels like a smart way. So I'm encouraged by what I've seen early on here as it's 4.16 p.m. We're officially in the free agency market. Oh, I can't believe all these deals were announced in, during the legal tampering <laughs> period, which is one of the most ab- obs- obscene things I've ever heard in, in all of sports. I just don't get why don't they just why don't they just start it? I don't under like I don't understand like why why do you have this thing or like in the very least it has to be like some type of policy where you're not allowed to announce it because now the free agency start they go yeah so there was uh, you know eighty percent of the signs are complete. And now here's those back end. Here come those back end, you know, contracts. I guess there's still a couple of names out there, but uh, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the pulse of it happens two days before it actually starts. Yeah, I, th- I think it has to do with like whatever date you have set for free agency. Inherently, people are going to be circumventing the rules and talking days in advance. So basically, like they're like, all right, we know the signing period is officially Wednesday, but you can start having conversations on Monday, which means people are also talking about it the Friday beforehand, right? right. So like. I mean, we all know how that works. Uh, now, so that's where we stand currently. Those are the major signings. We've gotten our takeaways on it. Just in terms, though, were you, were you, are you surprised that the Giants have not made any moves, and were at least in the initial wave, in terms of offensive line? Obviously, you know, I banged the drum on Conklin for a while there. Uh, but as we moved through the process, I backed off of that a little bit, but – I personally am a little surprised that you haven't seen even just some depth signings come in. Does that speak to, to you, the, the market being in a spot where the Giants didn't want to commit these dollars, as we've talked about, the way they structured their approach so far? Or is this speaking to confidence, whether it's in a Nick Gates at the right side, which I think is the biggest area that you would think about in terms of just there's a blank hole there theoretically right now. And also we have to acknowledge, of course, Nate Soldier on the left side of the line and just where maybe Joe judge is thinking where the organization is thinking, because they've never come out and said anything disparaging about his play, even though we, we know on tape, it's, it's there for you to examine thoughts, thoughts on the giants lack of movement on the offensive line. I think it more has, has to do with the age of a lot of these linemen that were hitting the free agent market. You have mm-hmm. guys like Brian Belaga, you know, Anthony Costanzo, you have a lot of these guys that are much, much older. And they're getting a lot of money up front in short-term deals. And yes, that is good for us. But you can see, you know, if we're holding to form on the strategy that Gettleman and Joe Judge are putting together is we want flexibility. We want young talent that if it really, uh, you know, they really blow it out of the water, we can, you know, pay the money to sign them long-term. So I think the challenge for us in the first wave of free agency is that all the big names that we're making 12 to 15, 16 million, uh, we're pretty much shorter term deals, guys re-upping with their existing teams, guys like Thune getting franchised by the Patriots. So I, I don't know if there was an opportunity for us to really go hard on an offensive lineman. 
And, and the second piece of it that I think is really important is the defense has been neglected for a while. Mm-hmm. And we, we looked at what the average salary was, or the, the most expensive salary, I believe, was Dexter Lawrence at $3 million last year on the offensive line. So when you think about that, we just hadn't invested any money at all in the, in, in the defense. So let's take some money. Let's invest it into, into the defense. Let's get some young, controllable talent over the next couple of years while we build. We'll look – I mean, this screams offensive tackle with our first pick in the draft now. I think, I think that's pretty much something you, you, could, you could set in stone. And that's not a bad thing. We get a premier guy at a position of need, and we've already started balancing the roster out on the defensive side. It allows us in the later rounds, third, fourth, fifth round of the draft, to start going at best player available as opposed to just reaching and trying to fill whatever holes we've got left. Yeah, and I think you know you can you could see, especially when we think about think about Bradbury, you know, two or three years from now, whether it's that one of the existing players rises up and claims that number one, and you'd like to see that happen, or there's another free agent that comes on the market, we draft some play, you know, another player for the secondary. You could see someone else rise up into the true number one position, and then again, what you've done is just feather yourself out across. I, I will be curious to your point. We were talking about this as we were moving through the free agency period. I think it does lock the Giants in to an offensive lineman at their first pick. It feels like the the opportunities for trade downs may be shrinking and or Dave Gettleman isn't overly concerned about it, and I'm okay with that. But we were we were having this discussion, and I don't want to go – we're going to run through some of our post-free agency mock drafts, and we'll let some of these final signings come out. But one of the, the, the fun things or the exciting things, I guess, from, from a Giants fan perspective is I ran through one of these quickly when, when you were saying, man, you know, I don't know what we've accomplished or, or are we going to be able to accomplish everything we need. And while there's a, name, there's a name mixed in here that I think kind of falls into the, wow, surprising that he was still there, so you can put the asterisk next to it, but taking Thomas in the first round, grabbing Claypool at wide receiver at the start of the second, Darrell Taylor out of Tennessee being the surprising one that's available at the back end of the third, but then Willie Gay Jr. at linebacker in the fourth. The center, Daryl Williams, addressing a position of need in the fifth round, getting Carter Coughlin, another edge rusher, in the sixth. And then just at the start of the seventh, didn't even go into the other three picks we have, but picking up a guy like Reggie Robinson, uh, who is you know, being looked at as one of those steals of the draft. I don't know if some of these guys are going to be available where they're listed, but even if we don't make that tradeback scenario, because of these three pieces that you bring in, or four pieces including the tight end, I think the Giants have done enough here at the start of free agency to say, now we can, to your point, best player available, plug them in, build up that depth, bring in young talent that can take over some of these contracts that we've handed out over the next couple of seasons. And you put yourself in a really good position to be able to give out extensions, to be able to assess your talent at the cornerback position so you know where you stand going into next offseason. So I I really, I'm overall positive. I, I think the the dark lining here for me is just the reality check of this is where the giants are, right? This is going to be a season where I think you're excited about some of the play you get from a lot of positions. And I don't know how much you're going to see the improvement in terms of wins and losses, because it's just going to be a difficult schedule, difficult division to play in for the giants. And you're going to have to hang your hat on the fact that we are moving in the right direction. You know, Adam, I look at it very similar to the Wii, uh, the, the Nintendo, the original NES that I have sitting on my counter right now. It's not, it, it is not the uh, up-to-date PS4 
sexy guy like Patrick Mahomes on the market. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I found I, what I believe to be all the cords. I probably have to dust things off, still have a little bit of tweaking and working to do to make sure that I can get this thing to actually plug in. (laughs) But you know what, when I, when I start playing legend of Zelda, I'm going to be pretty happy with what I got. That'll tie a bow on this. uh, We'll we'll call it the free agency episode of the podcast. Obviously there could be some more news and notes here. We don't suspect the Giants are going to spend that last chunk of change on a big name or even a couple of you know larger names. I think you could see a couple more smaller pieces to fill out some depth on this roster as free agency officially gets rolling. But you, as always, can follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast and download, rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts fulfilled. And as always, let's go Big Blue.